Survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. And we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is. Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode number 96. We inch our way towards the triple figures. We're all going to hold our putters up and raise them to the sky. Hopefully there's no lightning about. Just a two-man team today. Uh, no Hazy. Our thoughts are with uh, all in the extended Hayes family who are and, uh, and the Friends Network. They're off um, celebrating the life of a lost one this week, so I'm sure we'll get the big fella back. In harness next week, Martin Blake sits uh, opposite me today. Hello, Blakey. Hello, Andy. You're well. What great uh, golf weather it is at the moment. I just thought that when I was walking around this morning. I know there's a little bit of breeze here in Melbourne town today, but just some of the days at this time of year, it's just you just feel like getting out there. Yeah, you do. Uh, the opportunity to get out there and play. Too busy? Oh, mate, it's... 2019 has been the worst year for golf. Well, good luck uh, for this for weekend. So for all our listeners who don't know this, Andy Ma is the runner yes. for the Carlton AFLW team, which is playing off in the grand final of the AFLW on Sunday against Adelaide, in Adelaide. In Adelaide. So if you had to take, I won't have the opportunity to play any golf, so there'll be no golf clubs going with me to Adelaide. If you no. can only play one course in Adelaide. Uh, while you're oh. over there, which one would you play? Uh, I personally would play Kuyonga. So Golf would Club. I. So would I. Yeah. Why I mean, would, I, why would you choose it over Royal? Do you think? Um, why would I choose it over Royal? Maybe it's as simple as that. I played better when I played <laughs> at Kuyonga. That's that's often that's, the case with me. Uh, Royal Adelaide. Uh, the last time I played there, I played there twice. The last time it blew a gale, and mm. it was just a very stiff test. Yeah. And uh, my game. Sort of shredded under the, the influence. <laughs> Plus, there was a snake in, uh, found in the toilets. I beg your pardon. You know that sort of that area, that like middle, a, that, that, that sort of fulcrum like area in the in the middle of the course. <laughs> I went over there in some over the summer, and there was a sign that there was a snake in the toilets, which yeah, it could be read Co- in different ways. Code but, for something else, yeah, but I'm glad yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. no, I I, lo- I just love Kyonga. I love the feel of that place. I went over there not so long ago, actually. Mike Wan's going to be joining us on the show today. He's our yeah, special guest, the Commissioner of the LPGA. We're going to be talking to him about the launch of the, the kind of rebranding. Um, kind of long-held uh, fundamental philosophies that have underpinned the growth of the um, LPGA over in America, the, the drive-on campaign. I'm sure most of you would have seen um, the supporting kind of media that's been released alongside it. it brand uh, positioning, Brand positioning, I think that's what which, they're Which it, sounds yeah. like a wank to me, but but in actual fact, it's it's a very good ad that they've done, like video, and there'll be more to come along these lines. So, and, and it's a great message that they're they're putting out there. The LPJ is booming under Mike, Mike yep. One. Yeah, uh, it is absolutely going gangbusters. Uh, he took over in 2010. He's made it global, and uh, you know, including two events in Australia now, and all the way up through Asia. And 
everywhere, really. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to talk to him. He's got a really big reputation, this guy. I'm, I'm likewise, like you, keen to speak to him. Mm. He, they, they've, remember there was this thing, and we'll talk, hopefully we'll get to speak to Mike about this at some stage on the way through, but it wasn't that long ago, maybe somewhere in the kind of five to seven years kind of vicinity, but when the influx of the Koreans and, and their dominance started to kind of take hold um, on the game in America, there was this there was a, a momentary resistance to them, I reckon. There was this... Just an edge of xenophobia. Don't you reckon there was? I oh, think so. You know, we're, they can't really speak very well. They don't, their command of English isn't great. It's, you know, until they understand, un, until they can speak properly, maybe they shouldn't be coming over here. Mm. You know, there were these kind of, in the eyes of um, conservative Americans, uh, myopic Americans, there was this kind of... Um, there was a bit of a cringe about the some players' inability to conduct interviews post tournament in English, and and it was it was vile, and we spoke about it, and we kind of called it out, I'm sure, on early um, inside the ropes many many years ago. But that, and I'm, I'm suspect it's under one who I feel has got a really global um, sense for the game and understands how important it is from a market share and growth of the game perspective. But that feels like it's. If it still exists, it doesn't feel like its voices as no, loud anymore. No, no, it's truly global, and it's different to the men's game, the women's game, in the sense that the LPGA is the clear, dominant, uh, only really massive big tour. All the best players want yeah. to get there, whereas yeah. in the men's game, you, you could potentially go and play on the European tour or the American tour. Um, you know, Either way is, is great. Uh, in the women's game, you've got to try – you know, the, there's an LET, Ladies European yeah. Tour, but it's nowhere near to the level of the LPGA. And it's ph- phenomenal, the growth. Um, domestically, uh, it's been another unbelievable week for uh, another like, winner. I, I feel like I feel like Scott Hand um, Blakey is, uh, if I said perennially sort of underrated, I, I, I don't mean that in, in that we don't respect what Hand does. We in the tightly held on it, we do. Mm. The bloke wins. He's a winner. He wins a lot and has over the last five or six years won a lot. And it, to explain myself a bit better, when we talk potential President's Cup spots or when we talk um, even from a negative, oh, they, don't, him in the mix. they don't come home to support the local tour. You know, we, we pour the pressure on. Partic- mm. So you can look at it from either end of the spectrum, the positives and the negatives. But Hen's name... Routinely, I reckon, gets overlooked when we have these concerts. It shouldn't be overlooked. Uh, it shouldn't be overlooked. Definitely not. Uh, he wins the Maybach Championship in Kuala Lumpur at the weekend in extraordinary circumstances. Unbelievable how it played out. But just from a statistical point of view, that's his 10th Asian Tour win. That was a European Tour event as well. Yep. So it's his third European win. But 10 Asian Tour winners. He's the Asian Tour specialist. He travels everywhere. I always remember Hendy talking when he was chosen to play in the Olympics for Australia. When was that? 2016? yeah. And there was all this talk about the Zika virus. Yeah. And he was like, Zika, Schmika. <laughs> Couldn't care less <laughs> about the Zika virus. He said, I've seen worse than that. You yeah. know? And away he goes and he plays with Marcus Fraser there. He just pl- goes everywhere. He's one of the most travelled players anywhere. He never complains, or to my knowledge, he never complains about any of that sort of stuff. He's won, he's won tournaments in eight countries, Andy. Uh, and how's this? He's second on the all-time money list in Asia, even though he doesn't technically that, play on that, that, that tour that, anymore because right. he's, yeah. he's playing in Europe. He's got a, a card to play in Europe. How about the way he finished it? 
Uh, it was it was remarkable. So he he leads throughout the last day. He had mm. a big run. I think he shot thirty one on the front line on the last day. Gets to the front. He's two in front for a little while. He's got the Spaniard Nacho Elvira on his tail. <laughs> yeah. So he goes up the last hole, one shot ahead of Elvira, and they're playing in the same group. They get up near the green. Hendy drove it into the fairway bunker, so he has to lay up. He hits his third shot onto the green, 20 feet away. Elvira's up near the green, and there's a storm. It starts absolutely hosing down. That's Poor old Nacho Elvira actually goes to hit his chip onto the last green, 72nd hole, needing probably, you know, definitely needs a birdie to, to make sure he gets into a playoff or chip it in for an eagle, whatever. There's a thunderclap uh. in his backswing. Absolutely <laughs> destroyed him. Like, I'm not kidding. It was a loud thunderclap. So he ends up mishitting the chip. He got it to about 30 feet. Then they have to blow the siren and get him off the course because there's thunder and lightning and all sorts of stuff. They wait an hour and 40. This is unbelievable. That's incredible. They wait an hour and 40. They come back onto the green. The weather's cleared. Poor old Scott Hen's got to think about it for all that time because he's got a one-shot lead and he's on the green. He's got a birdie putt, albeit a fairly long one. And Elviro knocks the putt, putt straight in. It's unbelievable. Punch the chest. Vamos. It was it was unbelievable. So all of a sudden he's gone from advantage hand to, okay, I've got a two-putt this for a playoff. He had a putt for the win. He left it uh, out to the right, taps it in, goes in the playoff. And then birdies the playoff hole to win. Did we get to see the playoff here in Australia? Uh, I did not see the playoff oh. until the highlights were shown later on oh, Fox Sports. Fox Sports, what were you thinking? You were, they actually oh. were showing a, a, a PGA Tour replay. A Valspar. I mean, this is where the people who are sitting back in their central command units uh, who have got the ability to just change scheduling if live events have run long uh, have got the capacity to do this. There's some, yeah, I don't know, some some young bloke back there who doesn't really know what's going on, Didn't not, read pa- the not play. paying attention, uh, and we miss out as a result of it. So they've got to be better than that. Mm. In the end, he, we know he gets the result. Blakey, he's every, he won once in 2012, three times in 2013, once in 2014, once in 2015, twice in 16, misses out 17 and 18, and his eighth tournament in 2019 he wins again. He's up to about 135-ish in the world rankings right now. Um, he, he he does have fluctuations. It's not all duck or it's all duck or no dinner with him. It's not quite that hit or miss with Scott Hen, but he is one of those players who isn't afraid when he gets in the mix. He might not necessarily always close it out the way he'd like to, but his record tells you now that since 2012, he wins. He so wins. you're putting him up for a President's Cup spot. Why shouldn't he be in the mix? I mean, I know I, it comes down to rankings. I can't argue with that. I, I know it comes down to rankings at the end of the day. But oh, but there's captain's picks. Yeah, he's a player. And he's a, you know, like the American, we're going to speak to Michael on later. He's a gamer. He's a, he, he's, he, I reckon he's got a bit of, there's something about him. He's got, he, he knows his game really well now. He knows how to play the game uh, on and off with club in hand and 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 in between shots, I don't think he's. I think he's a. He's got a bit of swag and he's got a bit of something about him, Scott Hendon. I think he'd be. A oh, he's a character. I think he'd be a great man to have as part of a team like that. So and been on inside the ropes, of course. Of course he has. Um, um, and we would have loved to have had him on. I texted him, yeah. but I, I, knowing Hendy, he'll be in a plane somewhere. Yeah, of course he will, and that's yeah. what he does. You know, mm. so 
Oh, oh, look, I just think he's a he's a credit to himself. He's a pro's pro. That's he the is. other thing about him. Like he just he knows Turn how up to, and play. Yep, gets a check, plays mm. everywhere. Um, you know, we saw him play in a WGC event not that long ago. He won't be playing in the match play because his number doesn't get him in. But um, when he gets to mix it with the best players in the world, he's not intimidated sharing a range with you know the top fifty players on the planet. It's extraordinary because he actually lives in America. He's a European to a play right now, and he plays a bit in Asia. But he mm. actually lives in America, mm. so somewhere in Florida is his, you know, his family, and you know he, he sort of jumps around from there. And I guess the European tour, being a world tour, he just gets on a plane and away he goes. Away he he's goes. a frequent flyer machine, mm. Andy. Mm. And uh, look, I, I agree with you about the Presidents Cup. They should should have a look at him. Uh, not sure what his record would be like uh, at a Royal Melbourne sort of sandbelt type venue, but. Um, Let's see. Well, he, he certainly, you know, he's tough. Yeah, that's. I think that's kind of what mm. I was getting at before. Yeah. I think he'd be a good man to have in a contest like that. Um, good to see Fraze shoot low in the opening round, seven under. I think. Well, that came out of the blue, it, didn't it? Did it? What? I couldn't. I, I was very shocked by that, given that he's. You You're know, about to say you couldn't believe it then. Oh, well, I, I can believe it, but I, I was surprised. <laughs> right, okay. He I mean, Fraze is, is sort of semi-retired from he, touring golf. Correct? Part-time player, of course. Yeah. He is. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So. To go up there and do that, and uh, you know, where did he finish in the end? About you know, thirtieth, I think. So yeah, Lucas Herbert, twenty like fifth. Yep. Yeah. Uh, good to see him jump up because since the incident in uh, Dubai, I just mm. felt like he was maybe a little bit off the ball. That that would have knocked him around, I reckon. Yeah, I reckon it, it might have been. Um, look, you never speak on Lucas's behalf. He's more than capable of doing that. But I wonder whether that was one of those little forks in the road for him, a little moment of learning and understanding and um, taking on board. Maybe once the dust had settled, he you know, took on board what some people were saying and um, just a time for a little bit of reflection and personal growth, as they say, Blakey. and uh, Wellness. He'll, he'll, all of that, and he'll come out of it um, a better player on the end of it. So, um, you know, the, 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 the best of him um, lies in store, obviously. Curtis Luck got a bit of a, a few of us excited over in – the states at the Valspar, he got himself right in the mix at the end. Couldn't close it out, unfortunately. He yeah, finished tied thirteenth in Florida. Um, that's a big week for Curtis because he's been struggling, and he just needed to bank a check and just keep it keep it rolling. Mm. Not not just to for living expenses as such, just just for the the uh, the points that he gets in the standings and stuff like that. Just just to get something on the board and mm. get something going. So. Actually, Matty Jones had a good week as well, tied 13th. But it was a good weekend for uh, the 40-somethings, wasn't it? Because mm. Paul Casey successfully defended at 41 years of age. He must love that that course there. Yeah, oh, well, look, we've talked about him on this show in the past. He's just a he's, – he's the – like, he's almost an English version of Scott Hend in a lot of respects. He, yeah. you know, he's a pro's pro. He turns up, he plays, he puts his nose in the frame. He's – no one's going to be surprised if – at some stage, Casey again contends in you know one of the majors, and I don't think anybody is, anybody would be surprised if by the end of it all, Paul Casey won a major championship. Absolutely not. It wouldn't it, knock my socks off yeah. if he did. If anything, you know, I think people sort of suspect he's underachieved a bit, but mm. the truth of it is that he's had some shocking injuries and mm. illnesses and stuff like that that have held him back. I would have thought he would have probably won more, mm. but having said that, he's he's a great player. He plays uh, at the pointy end too. Like it's not as if he plays on. You know, second tier tours, he's been mixing it True. with the best for a long time, and it's pretty tough to win uh, on the sorts of tours. He plays he's equipment on. free, Andy. He, he doesn't, doesn't play with any sponsors' gear. I was reading this the other day. So he's got, 
He's got tailor-made drivers, Mizuno Irons, or Mizuno, which I think is the correct pronunciation if you go to Japan, and Scotty Cameron Wedges and Putter. Well, it's got to be a choice, doesn't it? I I would believe so. Yeah. 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 Just uh, so I don't want to be dictated by that. I want to choose the stuff that's best for me. I think think he probably goes Mm. okay. Jason Day missed the cut. Didn't didn't see any of him. No. uh, No. Well, he's... You know, he, he steps out this week in one of his, you know, more preferred formats and one of the events that he's um, known some success at, doesn't he, with the WGC uh, match play. So that comes up this week and um, he's got himself he's got himself in a pretty competitive group. Um, Mickelson, Stenson and Furick yeah. uh, are, is in the day group. The three Australians, Leishman, Cam Smith and Jason Day, they're the three that we've got going around this week. Yeah, so Leishman, they've all got tough groups. I mean, the, the, no the, it goes off world ranking. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously Leishman coming in at number 17 seed gets DeChambeau, Russell Knox, and Afi Barnrat. Um, and Cameron Smith, seeded 25, gets Casey, Charles Howell, and Abraham Anser, mm. who keeps bobbing up the Australian Open champion. So, and you're going to have to win at least two, maybe mm. three of those matches to go go through. But Cameron Smith was in the top eight Last year, I, I love this event. I just wanted to read you a quote from the defending champion, who's uh, Mr. Bubba Watson, who said uh, overnight that he, he doesn't like the event. Oh. And uh, his quote was, I vote every year not to have match play because I feel like I have a better chance in 72 holes than I do in individual matches. Because we've seen every year a guy shoots in the 60s and loses, and then we see a guy shoot in the 70s and win. And it's like, wait a second, how fair is this? Well... Uh, Bubba, that, that's what match play, <laughs> that's what it is. That's why we like this event. That's why I like it because it's something different to the 72 hole stroke play that you, you want, Bubba. What, what, what do you make of that? Well, it's, it's, the ir- irony is he's a brilliant, he's a brilliant match player, of course. Well, he's just a brilliant player. Yeah. Like, you know, he can, he can, he can, he can create a shot, um, you know, to suit any moment, which is one of the great challenges of match play golf you find yourself down on a hole or behind in a match and you have to create and find something Watson is one of the players who actually has the ability to do that um, that he doesn't appreciate where it sits in the grand scheme of things and he has such a um, inherent lack of understanding of um, sorry but it's such an American well, sort of, course of thing it is. To, it, to want everything to be fair and, a, a, yeah. and even and you yeah know, no. it, it's not it's not golf no like, no, and it's it's it, but it's that's him, and it's part of what makes him the sort of player that is for many of us hard to warm to. Um, he doesn't have to come out and toe party line. I, I mean, we you, we as journalists should probably respect the fact that he's got an yeah. opinion and he's happy to um, share it with us. But it's it's the lack of regard for uh, the game. I think that sometimes some of these players, he's just a great hitter of a golf ball. I don't think he's necessarily a great ambassador for the game of golf, no. which is a bit of what we're going to be speaking to Mike Wan about a bit later on with the drive well, campaign. It's quite a big week for all those Aussies because we're only two weeks out from Augusta and yep. uh, Jason Day has played well in this event in the past. He's won his previous winner of the event. So uh, I think it is quite a good week, you know, to, to get going. They get guaranteed three matches mm. and then it's sort of open, you know, uh, knockout after that. So I just hope they... Um, they can go well. I really love the event and I'm um, looking forward to it. And, which, you know, which two of, weeks to Augusta. Which, How good is that going to be? Which of the three goes the deepest into the tournament, Leishman, Smith or Day? Right at the moment, I'm going to say Jason Day. I know he's coming off a missed cut, but prior to that, his form was pretty good. So mm-hmm. as long as he's fit, 
Uh, I think he's got something coming soon, Jason Day. Well, you can have him, and I'll I'll take uh, the big boy from Warrnambool. I'll, I'll take him. The so leash. We'll, so we'll give Hazy Cam Smith, and nearest the pin. Um, the other, it's, a, it's a pretty good group. Can uh, buy the other two, the Parmigiana or something for lunch one day. Tiger will be be interesting. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of excitement around him over the next month, yeah. to say the least. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll I think we'll spend more time talking about him. Yeah, in the lead up to Augusta. Um, LPGA event. We'll um, have a chat about that before we get to a break and introduce Mike Wan to the program. Uh, gee, they went low here. They they were this was competitive, very competitive at the top. You had to play pretty well to win to win the founders this year. It's kind of twenty two under Jin Young Ko, who's uh, last year's or the year before's winner of the Women's Australian Open. So and and the quarter sisters tied second. So. Mm-hmm. How's that? They're having their own private duel as to who's the best in their in their family. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Nelly and uh, who won the uh, women's women's open earlier this year, and, and Jessica, who's previously won the event. So it was a, it's kind of a good week. Sue O was the interesting one, the Victorian uh, pro. Shot sixty four on the last yeah. day, um, finished tied eighteenth. She's just gradually ticking up on the scale. Sue, yeah. Uh, Without having spoken, we haven't spoken to her for a long time. And Clates, you know, if he was here, could probably give us a bit of an insight into her. But I feel like she's 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 a win, or a you know a real kind of high finish in one of the one of these LPGA tour events away from taking the self belief that will come with that. Yeah, um, knowing that you should be out there, knowing that you can compete with the depth and quality of the field that she lines up against every single week now. She's a big finish, not necessarily a win, just a big finish away, I reckon, from yeah. just flicking a bit of a switch in her own um, in her own mind. That that sense of self-belief that comes with a big finish somewhere along yeah. the line, I reckon, will do her the world of good. There's been a lot of expectation around mm. Sue. And, uh, look, she came through with Minji Lee and was basically virtually the, the equal of Minji Lee as an amateur. And they, of course, represented Australia and won a, won a world team's championship and all that sort of stuff. And then Minji got to the pro stage and went whoosh. And Sue got left behind. She had her own issues of sort of the the, the issues outside of golf of, of having to live away from yep, home and yep. stuff like that. It was all all kicking in. And She's still very thing, young. And she didn't find the right equipment for no. herself. She had some issues. She's changed like, coaches yep, a yep, few yep, times. That, yep, yep. So, I mean, she's very young. I mean, she she could, you know, there's a lot of upside with Sue, and a she, lot. No, she got a lot of good people in her corner too. So, mm. um, you yeah, know, they'll, they'll help her navigate her way through uh, those phases. From a result perspective, anything else you want to mention before we get out of get out of the, um, get to a break and introduce Mike Wan to the show? Yes. Um, Cam Percy and Scott Arnold were playing in the uh, web.com tour. Mm. And I'll just grab, grab the uh, details here, Andy, if you can just talk among yourselves. <laughs> Jeff, thanks very much. <laughs> no, so, two, uh, two of our favourites, of course, Cam Percy, uh, a great friend ja- of everybody. Jamie here. Arnold was tied 13th. It was the Chittimaca, Louisiana Open. Uh, ja- Jamie Arnold t- tied 13th. Cam Percy, our good mate, tied 32nd. I believe Cam is still uh, inside the top 25. It's obviously very early in the year, but just at the moment going quite nicely. And Karis Davidson was uh, from Queensland, was tied 34th in the Japan Women's Tour event on the weekend. There you go. There's the wrap <laughs> of what Australians are doing on the major tours around the place this week. Uh, Mike Wan, the Commissioner of the LPGA, our special guest on the program. He's going to join us on the other side of this. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. 
My Golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. To be honest with you, I'm not sure now is the perfect time. Probably 70 years ago would have been the perfect time. I did an interview last night uh, with a you know a large radio program, and they said, um, is it really exciting to move into this space? And I remember thinking about the question. And I said, obviously, you guys don't cover us. We're not we're not moving in any space. We've been in this space for 70 years. We've been standing on the shoulders of our founders for a long time. And every player on this tour knows, and this is a great week, by the way, to talk about it here at the Founders Cup. They know that their shoulders are going to be the platform for the next generation. And so, you know, yesterday when we launched this to have Pratima Sherpa there from Nepal, and we had Amy, you know, Bakersteady from the, you know, from the 17th at Waste Management, one of our girls golf alumni, you know, with I Got This and making par there. Uh, we had uh, we had a, 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 a woman who manages a lot of our girls golf campaign, Stephanie, who's gone through three brain surgeries and through all of that is continuing to focus on getting young girls playing golf and enjoying it. And she said she actually showed the Nike ad, the recent Nike ad about women's empowerment to the girls golf group. And they loved it. And at the end, they all sat quiet. And she said, what's wrong? And they said, where's the golf? And uh, it's funny. Luckily for us, she had heard me talk about this campaign probably six months ago. And she said, girls, I promise coming soon. And the good news is those little girls were in the audience uh, yesterday to show it to them. Welcome back to the show. Uh, always fantastic to have access to some of the absolute key people in the world of golf. And Mike Wan is one of those, commissioner of the LPGA. And they've, they've kind of relaunched and rebadged themselves with their drive-on campaign. We just heard a bit of it uh, out of the ad break there. And uh, it's absolutely terrific to have the LPGA commissioner part of the show today. Mike, thanks so much for being part of it. We appreciate your time. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. I appreciate being on. If there's a key message that, um, you know, that that you and the women's game hopes to have um, enhanced and understood and heard as part of the launch of the drive-on campaign, what, what would that message be? Well, you know, it's funny. People ask me about us moving into this campaign. I always kind of feel like what we did is just revisit who we really are. I mean, the, the LPGA players today are – they'll be the first to tell you that they're standing on the shoulders of the women that started this tour 70 years ago. And we have a phrase around the LPGA. We, we say, act like a founder. We'll finish a meeting and people say, act like a founder and everybody leaves. And people inside the LPGA knows what that means, which is, you know, do something to leave the game better for the next generation and, and drive on is really that, that internal, that internal light that says, uh, no matter how good or how bad your day is, remember there's young girls looking up at you and hoping to, uh, hoping to stand on your shoulders one day. And, and, you know, any, any woman who's succeeded in business or sports or academics has felt the, um, has felt the, the responsibility that's larger than herself. And, and this campaign is really about just bringing that to the surface. That That's a fairly, um, it's an unbelievably admirable thing to be asking, you know, young sports people to accept uh, as they, you know, sort of make their way through their professional sports. It also, you mentioned the word responsibility, Mike. It is a um, fairly significant responsibility that you're asking these players to take on board. Yeah, you know, it's funny. In every This is my 10th season. In every rookie orientation meeting, I tell them that I only need one thing from them. I don't need wins. I don't need, you know, to say yes to every interview. I just need you to respect the fact that you're here because uh, years and years ago, 13 women got together and realized they were never going to get rich. They were never going to get famous. But if they had persistence, if they, if they stayed with it, they might just leave the game better for their daughters. 
And now we've got the, that, that baton is in our hand. And when we're done running, we're going to hand it to somebody younger and faster than us. So mm. no matter how many wins you get, no matter how many sponsors you secure, just know that that's, you know, that's our burden. And uh, let's, let's run with the baton as long as we can. And the good news for me is when I'm looking across the table at a bunch of 20 year olds, um, they have known that and felt that way before they ever met commissioner Juan at the LPGA. I mean, they've, they've always felt, that uh, women before opened up the doors and it's their job to make sure more doors are open for the next generation. And Mike, it's Martin Blake here. Uh, this is a little bit about women's empowerment as well. It's, it's more than golf, isn't it, that you're kind of trying to drive home here? You know, it's funny, Martin. We had a brand new board member join the LPJ and he was the former chief marketing officer of IBM. And we were in the middle of a board meeting. I'm just doing my thing. And he looks over in the middle of the meeting and he says, Mike, what are you selling when you're out selling the LPGA? And I slid into my typical sales pitch about the uh, hospitality and, and uh, connect connectivity. You know, our athletes know more about the title sponsors than any of our athletes in sports. You know, we're handwritten notes. We understand their business objectives. And I was just kind of off and running. And, and he kind of interrupted me and said, Mike, I've only been to four LPGA events so far. But from what I see, your sponsors are buying a lot more than hospitality and sports marketing. And he started talking about all the empowerment and women's programs and leadership conferences, all that are happening at each of our events. And he said, you know what, maybe it's time for us to refresh that concept because as I walk into an LPGA event, I see sponsors buying a lot more than that. I see them spying, uh, buying a connection to the same things that are happening in their board meetings where they're talking about equal pay and empowerment and leadership and diversity and authenticity. As he said, you know, these things are happening in virtually every boardroom in every country in the world. We're just a living, breathing example of it. So, it was that that moment, you know, in that board meeting where I sat back and thought to myself, you know, he, he's he's seeing this thing with fresh eyes. I haven't looked at it with fresh eyes in ten years, and it was uh, it was the beginning of a great journey that a year later turned into the spot you guys just saw, which is this is for every girl. So that leads me to where the LPGA is at, because in your time uh, since two thousand and ten, it's become a global tour. That would be probably, I, I'm guessing, the biggest change that's happened, uh, or your big legacy, really. Um, where's it at? Are people watching it on television to the to the level that it needs to be? Uh, is the prize money enough? I mean, I know that uh, some of the players have, have spoken out in the past about the, the big disparity between uh, men's prize money in golf and women's prize money. Uh, where are the areas that you you need to get to work on? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great... Um Good news, bad news. I mean, the good news is no matter what factor you use to assess uh, success in a sport, um, all of those factors would be at increases that are staggering numbers. And whether you're talking about how many times we're playing or how much money we're playing for, or the average purse, the number of TV hours, the number of countries that televise us, all of those things, you know, waver between somewhere between 60 to 150% increases in the last 10 years. So the good news is we, we're been, we've been on a staggering growth path uh, the bad news is we've got a long way to go. I mean, it's uh, it's exciting that we're playing for over $70 million. And, you know, seven, eight years ago, we were playing for $40 million. Um, but to your point, you know, um, I used to, when I first got to the LPGA, I remember my first year, I was flying home at the end of our first, our last event. And I realized that there was two women on tour that had made a million dollars. And I was thinking, well, we have two millionaires about all these tours. And, and last year when I was flying home, I think we had 20 um, millionaires. And um, I just for, just for, you know, giggle's sake, I, I Googled the PGA tour and pulled it up and they had 102 yeah. um, millionaires. Now I don't really waste my time thinking about how much, you know, how much their tour is doing or how many events they're playing. It's a, they're a moving target just like us. But what I do want to make sure is, 
is we create a tour by which if you're one of the best 100 female athletes in the world in your sport, that ought to be a financially viable proposition. And I think if you're one of the top 50 players in the LPGA, you probably make a pretty good living. I think if you're number 100 on the LPGA, you're probably still talking to a wealthy relative about, you know, a loan. And that, that just doesn't, that just doesn't sit right. Talking to Mike Wan, the LPGA commissioner. I'm fascinated by this, Mike. We've got some, we've had this kind of real empowerment of women's sport in Australia in the last 10 years. We've seen it go on this kind of really rapid growth rate, particularly in the pro ranks with games over here like, you know, Australian rules football and cricket in particular. Um, and yet a lot of people are sceptical that these leagues are ever going to be able to support themselves um, independent uh, of the men's game and the overarching support that comes with the parent leagues uh, that drive the men's game. Uh, are you confident that the women's game of golf, the LPGA, can be a total standalone um, organisation that doesn't need help from anyone else? It doesn't need PGA Tour support it will be a product that TV networks are prepared to invest in, that people will come and watch um, and and literally and truly stand on its own two feet? I think it, it probably doesn't matter what I say in answer to that question because I think history is a better answer than whatever Mike Wan says. You know, the LPJ has been a standalone women's run and owned organization for 70 years. We've never had a We've never had a big brother or a big sister writing us a check at the end of the year to, to make things right or to provide opportunity we don't have. So for 70 years, the LPGA has been, has been standalone. So I don't know how many, you know, how many decades they'd have to go to kind of prove that it's solid. And I think, you know, when you think about where the LPGA is today versus 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I mean, just 10 years ago, we were delivering about 200 hours of television a year around the world. So if you wanted to, if you wanted to watch the LPGA and you were lucky enough to have a country where they, televised the LPGA, you'd get about 200 hours of TV. About 60% of that 200 hours was tape delayed. If you jump forward to today, you know, we have 500 hours of television a year. About 95% of that is live. You know, 10 years ago, we had 22 countries televising the LPGA on a regular basis. Today, we have over 170 every week. So it's, um, you know, I, and it's like I said, we're not, we're not tied to the PGA Tour. We're not tied to the PGA of America. We don't have a we don't have a financial relationship with the, with the USGA or the RNA. That's a, that's a standalone business. And so I'm, I'm excited to say that, you know, when I, I talk to a lot of other female sports that ask us, and it's funny, when I took the job, and you guys mentioned it back in 2010, everybody said to me, what are you going to do about all the international influence on the LPGA? Like it was a negative thing. And I yeah. said, embrace it. And everybody started writing every time I'd say that. And I said, guys, if, if I could be two commissioners, I could be the commissioner in 1985 when – all the players in the world came from three different areas, U.S., Europe, Australia. All the TV was in Europe, U.S., Australia. All the sponsors were in three countries. Or I could be the commissioner of today where we have players coming from 50 different countries, televised 170 countries. We've got sponsors and we've got websites in 10 different languages. Yes, that's harder. Yes, all of our fans will have to adjust to new players and new pronunciations and new country locations. But long term, it's what every big sport is trying to get to. I mean, think about how much money – basketball, football, rugby spends to try to get their brand more global and more, uh, you know, more interested around the world. We're there in women's sports. I mean, we're, we're literally borderless. That's such a progressive attitude compared to some that existed prior, perhaps to you taking the position you took. I remember Blakey 
and I and others, Mike, have had conversations with people. And we went back. It wasn't that long ago that there were people around the LPGA who were saying, look, it's great that they're such good players, but it'd be nicer if they could speak better English. Or, and it was almost like until they can be a bit more like us, um, you know, maybe they're not such a great thing for the tour. Um, and yet clearly, you know, imbued in the answer that uh, you just gave us, that that is not necessarily in and of itself an issue for you at all. Yeah, I w- I've watched other sports go through it. You know, basketball started getting really international and the hardcore, you know, old fan would say, geez, I don't know if I like these players coming from South America or coming from Europe or coming from Asia. But the reality of it is, you know, the the, uh, the potential fan volume that comes out of that in the sport, I mean, when we started playing in Thailand 10, 12 years ago, I never saw a woman playing golf in Thailand. I'd see them caddy, but I would never see a woman playing golf. Today I've got, I don't know, 15 players on tour from Thailand, number two player in the world. Our events in Thailand probably have 70% women in the audience. And when you go play golf in Thailand, you see tons of women playing. I mean, it's funny, but, you know, girls under the age of 18 in America is the fastest growing segment of the golf sport. So what's uh, what's happening with golf and, you know, seeing it all over the world is, is these, these young kids, just like that ad portrays, you know, just see the game in a whole different way. And it's, I think any, um, any business that goes through change, you know, the change is tough. I've been on three different brands before I got to the LPJ. All of them went global and all of them were difficult. It makes for a great board presentation, but harder to, harder to do. But the other side of going global is pretty, uh, is pretty awesome. And we're sort of on the awesome side of the mountain mm. now where, you know, we've got, we've got interest. I always tell people we're just following an Olympic model. Try to put on, try to create a sport where the best in the world strive to get to your level, play really cool hometown events and let the world watch. You know, I'm in Carlsbad right now for the Kia Classic. You know, this is, people in San Diego think this is a really cool little event in their hometown. But 175 countries are eavesdropping on what's going on this week. And that's, um, you know, that's just, just stealing from what the Olympics taught us 100 years ago. Mike, the two events that you have with your footprint down in Australia, the, the Women's Australian Open in Adelaide and the ISPS Hander Vic Open down at 13th Beach, I'm interested in what the response was this year, in particular with the Vic Open uh, being part of the LPGA for the first time, because there are other issues at play here in terms of the format of that event being a uh, a mixed event, and it's something that uh, you know we've we've been getting used to for a few years, and it's much loved down here. But it was the first time that it really went global. It was on the Golf Channel. It went around the world on on television. It was the first time it was part of the LPGA. Uh, what's been the takeout of that from the LPGA point of view and from the players that you've spoken to? Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, it, same here in the States. I mean, that went from an event I know that had been played before, but America certainly wasn't talking about it. And a lot of, and a lot of countries, even in Europe, weren't talking about it. And this year, it was definitely the talk of the sport. It reminds me a little bit of the first time we played the ISPS uh, Women's Australian Open. Um, we didn't have a super strong field the first year, first two years, actually, we played it. Um, people said, geez, it's a long way to go. And then from there, we got to go to Thailand, and that's not easy. And then players went for the first two years, and without any help from me or sponsors or anything else, they just started saying to each other, you got to play in this event. I mean, this is really cool. What happened at the Vic Open was almost identical. I mean, I was in Thailand and Singapore a couple of weeks after the Vic Open was over, and sitting in the in the uh, player dining in Singapore, I was listening to two players that had played in the Vic Open talking to six players who hadn't and just talking about how cool it was and the experience. They'd played their practice round with some different guys, and you know they you know, they, they shared warm-up routines and 
how great the fans were about the whole thing. It was to me, it was it, were, it was like a flashback, to almost like listening to the Women's Australian Open, where where the, where where events really take hold is when word of mouth within the athletes take off. I mean, we can we can do all we want and promotion and all that, but at the end of the day, if the athletes like it, believe it, and it means something to them, they'll tell other athletes, and that's what's going on in the LPGA. There's been a real awakening. Obviously, there's a bigger message there. It's not a large purse. In fact, it's our lowest purse yeah. of our entire season. So I think a lot of players just looked at it and said, long way to go and a small purse. But I, but I can tell you that in our in our locker rooms sense, um, both both of those Australian events have really raised their profile just because of the way other players who went talked about them. Yeah, it's good to hear. I mean, from our parochial view down here was that uh, we, we were slightly disappointed, I think would be fair to say, with, with the number of LPGA players who committed to the field for the Vic Open in particular. Um, but we felt like uh, it would improve next year, you know, because the co-sanction wasn't announced till fairly late. And we needed that word of mouth to get back. It's funny. I've had other tournaments call me and say, how can that tournament with, that, with a weaker strength of field have probably the greatest strength of awareness? Because, I mean, I think other tournaments looked and said, I've never seen so much coverage on a tournament, and they're still missing some big names. You know, so I think the good news is in year one, uh, you know, the world woke up to it. I think in year two, you'll start to see, uh, you'll start to see the result of that. Mike, where's the next? Um, where's the next corner of the globe where you can, um, where where you think we can get more growth in the women's game? Is there a country? Is there a part of the world that you think, yeah, no, it, it's happening, but it can it can be helped and it it can be, um, it can just be given a little push and a little helping hand. Is, is there somewhere uh, where the women's game is is identifying that as a, a kind of potential space for them? Yeah, you know, as, as I've been doing this job now a little longer, I get to see these sort of different phases. You know, when I started in the job, I could see it taking off in a couple of countries like Thailand, Taiwan. Um, you know, in the last four or five years, I've seen the liftoff in China. You know, mm-hmm. when I first started going to China eight or nine years ago, um, even the Chinese weren't sure how they felt about golf. Rich man sports, you know, a lot of tear down a lot of farmland to play on golf. And when golf became an Olympic sport, uh, there was a game change in, in China. You know, they, they talk about a term podium sports in China. I hear it a lot when I'm over there, which is, you know, golf went from being a, you know, a sport that other people played to a podium sport where you might be standing on a stage with your flag going up behind you. And all of a sudden there was driving ranges and golf schools and some of the biggest names in golf had, had teaching facilities. And uh, so I would tell you what I can see both, uh, both at the, uh, you know, what I'd say at the high amateur level and at the early pro levels, you know, our Symmetra Tour, the Ladies European Tour, um, the China LPGA, and certainly now showing up at the LPGA, I think you're going to see another pretty strong wave of what's, uh, what's going to happen here come from China. And because of that, I think you'll see a whole wave of other countries in that region respond because because uh, for the longest time for those younger players even if there was an interest there wasn't either the facilities or the coaching or the teaching available now all those things are in place and i think we should expect to see a pretty uh, significant wave of talent in the next 10 years come out of there mike it's amazing what your organization has done and uh, continues to do uh, it's further underlined through uh, you know a, a reminder of um, a campaign launch like that of drive on uh, it's exciting to see what um, lies in the future we really appreciate you giving us some time over here on inside the ropes we know you've got a lot on your plate um, thanks ever so much for making yourself available to us we really appreciate it 
I got to tell you, it's exciting to me. You know, we launched that, and 24 hours later, we had over 60 million impressions of the campaign. We knew it would be exciting. We didn't know it'd be that exciting. And the fact that you guys are calling me from down under with the same, with the same kind of response, it's um, it's it's the kind of stuff that fuels us as well. So I'm excited. I really appreciate you guys having me on, and I hope you guys can drive on as well. We certainly will. Thanks, Good Mike. on you, Mike Wan, the commissioner of the LPGA, joining us here on Inside the Ropes. Uh, it's very much hand in glove with so much that is going on down here in Australia through the work of so many, but particularly those driving the game at uh, the elite level at Golf Australia, you know, the 2020, Vision, 20, Vision 2025. It's very much part of all of that. Yeah. Uh, we'll get a break out of the way, come back, um, wrap it all up on the other side of this. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. A bit of general business to get to, but just a quick thought on Mike Wan and the, um, the, the range of and the scope of ambition that the LPGA has. Have you got a thought on the up curve, all of that? big time on the up curve? And I guess um, the LPGA being one of the premier women's sporting competitions in the world now, um, they're riding on a wave because women's sport, as you mentioned to him, it, it, it's going really well. There's a big push towards it. And, uh, you know, it's popular. People want it. They like it. TV wants it. Um, so I think, you know, the sky's the limit there. The economy of it is the thing that I'm interested in. Yeah. I, I think we're all barracking, you know, for women's sport to be self-funding uh, and able to stand on its own two feet financially. Hmm. That is a problem. I, I don't even think an, I don't even think a sport like uh, a league like the WNBA uh, survives on its own financially over in yeah. a country like America. So, if a league like that and, and the federal government here in Australia uh, subsidises Fox to cover a, a number of Correct. Uh, women's sports, don't Correct. They? So, yeah. you know, without the AFL, there is no AFLW, obviously. Yeah. So, mm. um, you know, I'm sure that, you know, the WBBL it, mm. it isn't self-funding without Cricket Australia's involvement. Yeah, they see it as a really important investment. And, of course, yeah. that money should be spent on mm. those leagues. But the fact that um, one can outline to us the um, economic independence of the LPGA to the level that it exists is just uh, underlines exactly how it's been able to do something. A lot of other um, female professional sporting bodies around the world uh, aren't in a position to lay claim to. It's one of the best. And, you know, tennis is probably the, the uh, keynote sport yeah, of course. for, for yep. promotion of women's, you know, as, a, as opposed to just men's. But um, golf's, you know, it's up there somewhere. Uh, you know, I think that uh, that prize money is an mm. issue, but if the if the television money, people say, well, why don't you just give them equal prize money, like tennis, the Australian Open's equal prize money. But uh, to do that, you'd need to you'd probably need to have the event being run by a, a singular body who was prepared to take the pooled television money and put yeah. that back and, in, and almost simultaneously, you know, yeah, like like we do at Grand Slams, like we do at the Vic Open, 
Yeah, um, so you know, what, what, what's happening to the LPGA is they only have, they have a certain pool of money and mm. they can put up – I was looking at the, the prize pools before. They get up to about $5 million. Uh, You know, US Open, this Women's Open this year is $5 million. Our events down here are only, you know, well, last year or this year they were $1.1 million mm. and $1.2, something like that, US million dollars. So uh, we're a little bit behind, mm. but you can only put up – you know, it depends how much you're generating. Is the point, uh, General? There's some amateur golf you wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah, Steph Bunk, who, Bunky, who's a uh, you know won, won the Victorian Amateur a couple of years ago. She's one of the best amateurs in Australia. She won the South Australian Amateur Classic last weekend. Ren Yonazawa from Japan won the men's. So that was congratulations to Steph Bunk, that Bunky. That's a great win for her. The Special Olympics were in Abu Dhabi last week, and Chad Johnson. And Amanda Patterson both won bronze medals there. Congratulations to them. And I had a bit of a uh, whinge, Andy, to make about Robert Garrigas. Go on, whinge uh, away. US PGA we haven't had a whinge o'clock. today without Hazy. There's been no... Why, why would the US PGA... Well, I know why they do because it's their rules, but I, don't, I just don't get this. Um, he's been suspended for three months for <laughs> testing positive to marijuana. Mm-hmm. So he's had a joint somewhere. And... They've rubbed him out for three months. Mm. Seemed pretty heavy-handed to me yeah. when a number of states, quite a few states in America, uh, use of marijuana is completely, even recreational mari- marijuana is legal. Uh, medical marijuana is, is legal in most states, as far as I know. There's a lot of countries in the world where it's completely legal, and we're certainly not smashing people who, who smoke a little bit of dope. Uh, so how come... He's out for three months. It seems terribly heavy-handed. I couldn't agree with you more. It's it's one of those ones where uh, um, you ask the question, or I ask myself the question, if it was another player who tested positive to- higher profile player? Yeah. Let's just say for the sake of the argument, Tiger Woods tested positive to marijuana. Do you think he'd be suspended for three months? I doubt it, Andy. I don't think he'd be suspended for three months, Blakey. I don't think no. the PGA Tour would be coming down as hard on Tiger Woods, for example, mm. uh, uh, as they have with Robert Garrigas or Garrigas, um, the way that they have with him. So, so the context is that the PGA Tour of the United States has gone down the WADA path a year or eighteen months months ago, and marijuana is considered to be a uh, performance enhancing uh, drug now. <laughs> Uh, they've, they categorise it as a drug of abuse and those particular drugs which include amphetamines and stuff like that, um, I suppose you'd call them maybe party drugs or recreational drugs, would you? You know, it depends how you look at those things. Um, you know, they, they consider them to be performance enhancing and, and the reason, and that, that this is on their, their website, is that, that they decrease, marijuana decreases anxiety before competition. Mm-hmm. That, that, they're the words that they... They use, but I think it's it's terribly harsh. Yeah, I don't think we want. Um, a, a, can you imagine a tour full of people who are um, stoned to the eyeballs uh, on on no. the on the gear because it's <laughs> de- decreasing anxiety? It would make for fun viewing, I reckon. A whole lot of stoners walking around Augusta <laughs> in a couple of weeks, just taking the edge off the marijuana. Uh, open, I think it'd be pretty funny. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm with you 100 percent of the way here. Hey, locally, uh, we're sitting in Melbourne recording this. Um, There's some big ticket merger stuff has been on the agenda for quite some time. And there's been a big one rolling around here in Melbourne with a couple of noteworthy noteworthy golf courses that look like it's maybe hit a bit of a brick wall here. Yeah, I wanted to mention this because I think it has national implications in the sense that 
uh, they're two big clubs, the National and Huntingdale, who took a proactive view that they were going to, you know, secure in the case of Huntingdale in particular, have got some debt related to their the, their new clubhouse. Uh, it was kind of a securing of the future of the club mm. by joining with the National. So the two clubs sat down over the last few months. Um, it was a similar thing to the National, which is the biggest club in Australia now, uh, did a merger with Long Island in 2016, I think it was. And uh, that's been extremely successful um, because Long Island be- became one of the four courses at the National. Uh, Huntingdale and the National, they, so they've, they've pulled back uh, this week. So interesting. Uh, I believe uh, from talking to some people that um, – it's it's amicable. They just want to put a time out on it, and you know I've heard a lot of things about this, but uh, you know possibly the name of the Huntingdale Club might have been an issue. Um, have you heard that there the, might be another club getting involved? Uh, I have heard that. I've heard that there's a couple of Melbourne clubs uh, from that sort of very similar area. It, um, it, it creates. You think about it. it. I mean, if you haven't been down to the National as a complex. Uh, you don't realise what we're talking about here. We are talking about one of the great golf. It complexes. could be the best in the world. It's it's and, you know with Doug mm. doing what he's doing mm. down there now. Who knows what it's? We I think we suspect we know what it's going to be like. But to have that as part of your suite of golf courses available to you through one of these super club type arrangements, you know, your Metropolitan Club, i.e. Huntingdale or whatever it mm. might be next, if there is to be a next, and have your coastal. Um, you know, through a four-course setup, the way mm. we have with Long Island and the, and the national courses, it does create an unbelievably uh, valuable membership package. Uh, one that might see another club decide, well, if there is an opportunity to get in on this, yeah, uh, members will be pretty keen to see clubs take advantage of any opportunity. Spring Valley is the one that's been that name's been jumping mm. around. So I'll just put that out there. That's just some scuttlebutt that I've heard. But I just wonder why you'd want Spring Valley and Long Island. I, I, that, mm. I have heard that as well, but it just, yeah. I don't know, it just doesn't have well, the same. Spring Valley's in Melbourne, Long Island's, you know, half an Frankston. hour down the track. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see yeah, what, watch what pans space. out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we go, the Jared Lyle book, you and Hayes yeah. have been working on this for a long time now. Um, yeah, look, sadly, at? it's a posthumous mm. autobiography, ghosted, uh, ghost written by us, but... Uh, it's coming out in August, and uh, I just had a look at the actual pages the other day, which was was nice to see. They've they've typeset it, and we've just got to run through some little corrections, make sure there's not too many little literals in there, Andy. And yeah. uh, it'll be launched in about August. And I think I'm biased, but I think it's it's really good. It's uh, it's not just a golf book; it's a it's a life story. Yeah, you know, and I think people will really like it. I'm certain they will. Yeah, I'm absolutely certain they will. Yeah. Um, Oh, Julian, so that was Sue. That was something I meant to mention, Andy. Uh, the, Augusta's hosting a women's tournament for the first time ever yes. next week. Yes. Uh, something called the, I think it's the Augusta Women's Classic or something like that. And Julian Sue from Melbourne, uh, who's at college in the States, but was well known to all the uh, amateur golf people here from a few years ago um, before she went to the States. She's She's got herself in that field, so who's heading over from the inside oh, of the road? Justin Falcon has just but he's just barged his way through, knocked you and I out of the way, and he's on the plane to Augusta on Monday. There is something about knowing that he's gonna see it for the first time that gladdens gladdens my heart. We're lucky enough to have been there yeah. a couple of times and um when you know that somebody who loves the game and he's going over with his dad, I believe, they're gonna see it for the first time together. Uh nothing prepares you for what 
um, is about to, you know, fill your eyeballs. Uh, I've, still, you... I've still yet to meet anyone who was disappointed. And everyone goes with massive expectations. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Times yeah. 10. Yeah. But everyone's still blown away by it. Yeah, no. Well, can you imagine what sort of curmudgeon, what sort of miserable <laughs> you-know-what you'd need to be to go to Augusta and not be caught up and blown away by the whole thing? Can you imagine what sort of human... Do you know any human being? You know I, a person I who, can't think of anyone who is my friend. No, thankfully. Wouldn't want to be my friend. Uh, good to see you. Thanks okay, for being mate. part of it again. Okay. Martin Blake joining us. Uh, this has been Inside the Ropes, episode number 96. Great to have Mike Wan on the program. Hopefully you've enjoyed it and enjoy your golf this week. We'll see you same time next week.